0: of sin, we are born into darkness. And because of darkness, our way is lost. But just as the dawn starts to break over the horizon, the light of the world steps in to make darkness flee. For when darkness encountered the light, we encountered life we're continuing our sermon series where we study the resurrection appearances of jesus christ those appearances he made to his disciples and apostles after he rose from the dead and before he ascended to god in heaven And we're hoping that these resurrection stories and these resurrection appearances and these eyewitness accounts can also bring encouragement to our own faith and strengthen us in our walk with Christ. One of the questions I received recently was, why did Jesus's new body still possess the wounds of his crucifixion? Why did he have scars if this is his new body? And, and this is kind of a, a, a teaching of the church and a teaching of scripture that Jesus' resurrection, resurrected body still had scars, um, and will have scars forever. In, in Revelation chapter, um, five, verse six, it even talks about when John looks into heaven and he sees Jesus, he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and the lamb had, He was seeing Jesus and he was still seeing the wounds of Christ uh, forever in eternity. The the scars of Jesus. It's the same scars that he showed his disciples when he was raised from the dead to prove that it was really him. I think one of the reasons why Jesus' resurrected body has the scars is so that we can praise God forever for the grace that he gave us through Jesus Christ. And I think the scars teach us. I think the wounds of Jesus can continually teach us and encourage our faith um, as we go about our life. Today in our scripture, we're going to look at John chapter 20, and we're going to continue with these resurrection stories, these eyewitness accounts. And we want uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ to make a difference in our own lives, especially because of what his wounds teach us. His wounds give us peace, they give us joy, they send us on mission, and they even bring us to faith. Here's what John chapter 20, verse 19 starts with. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. In Luke, it says he showed them his hands and his feet. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Verse 30 says this and kind of wraps it up before we get the conclusion of the Gospel of John. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. One of the reasons why Jesus' new body, his heavenly body, his resurrected body, still has the wounds is so that we might believe. And it was written about and recorded so that we might believe. It's interesting that John, out of all the things he knew about Jesus and all of his interactions with Jesus, wrote only these few accounts of the resurrection um, account, uh, uh, resurrection experiences. I want to show you uh, first that Jesus's wounds will teach us and give us peace. Notice how Jesus greets them in verse 19 with shalom or God's peace. Verse 19 says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When we were given salvation, we have peace with God or shalom with God. Here in the Greek, it's written as Irene. It's much more than just a greeting of hello, peace be with you. It's a blessing that covers all spheres of life. God wants us to have peace in in our health and prosperity and harmony and justice and safety and even peace in our rest. In Luke chapter 24, verse 50, just before Jesus ascended to the Father, the scripture says he lifted his hands and he blessed them. I think maybe he even gave them the priestly blessing. From Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The wounds of Jesus give us peace with God. Before Jesus, the scripture declares us as enemies with God. We're declared dead in our sins. We all have rebelled against him, and we've all gone our own way. We've all done things that would make God, a holy God, disgusted with us. But God makes peace with us us through Christ, and we get to join in his covenant even though we still struggle to follow and obey after we join in his covenant, he still gives us peace. Because, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, says Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And then in 2.13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The wounds of Jesus bring us peace with God. And his wounds can also give us joy. Watch how in verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The wounds of Jesus revealed to his apostles that it really was Jesus. Their crucified Lord had appeared in their midst. And we need to wrap our minds around this too. Our crucified Lord is the risen Lord. And our risen Lord and Savior is the crucified Lord. His real death and real resurrection means he really did buy us out of our sin slavery to give us peace with God and buy us out of our sin slavery so that we could have joy. His real presence in front of the apostles means salvation for them and for us and for the entire world was really accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. The apostles were filled with joy as they saw their master alive from the dead. Jesus had promised them in the upper room at the Last Supper that he would come to them and turn their grief into joy. And it's only in Jesus, because of his wounds, we can experience this same joy. Joy is one of the blessings of the kingdom and one of the blessings of God when he gives us peace and one of the blessings of God when he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell within us. One of the blessings we have from the clear wounds from which Jesus suffered and died and then was raised is peace and then joy I wonder how your joy is right now. Would you ask God to give you joy or maybe return joy to your life? Maybe even give you joy in the midst of your suffering. Because Jesus is alive, we can have joy now. You know, the disciples, they were scared. They had locked the doors. They were in danger. They were in danger from the authorities from Rome and from the authorities of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that danger never really even left them their whole life. Of the 11 that were left, all but one were killed for their faith, and yet they never lost the joy of having the living Christ with them. The wounds of Jesus bring us peace with God and can give us joy. Ask God to give you joy. Number three, Jesus' wounds sends us on mission. The Gospel and Acts, all four of the Gospels and Acts, show us Jesus giving the Great Commission five different times with five different emphasis. In Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, Jesus linked the great commission for his apostles to his presence and his authority. In chapter uh, 28, verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." The commission is based on his presence and authority in Matthew. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, Jesus told them when they go and witness, it had a reality and a purpose of final judgment. In verse 15 of chapter 16 in the Gospel of Mark, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The great commission that Jesus gives is so important to our eternal life. There is real judgment there. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, Jesus linked the sending of the apostles with fulfilled prophecy and witness. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. In Acts 1, verse 8, He gave the coordinates and the plan for this great commission that he had given in all the gospels. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. But in John 20, Jesus links the great commission to his own commission from the Father. In John 20, verse 21 through 23, here's what Jesus says. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Part of our mission and purpose is patterned after Christ. Jesus was sent by God into the world. The apostles were sent by Jesus into the world. And the apostles teach that we are to go and be sent into the world, to go and witness. God's purpose in our own lives is that we take on the character and mission Of Christ. I think for too long, we've used the pattern of come and see in our efforts to win people to the gospel. But now we must go back to the go and witness that Jesus teaches. And and then as we go and witness, when someone shows an interest in what we are saying, we invite them into a deeper relationship of friendship and spiritual family where we teach them the ways of Jesus. And then we bring them to church to learn in a community of believers and then we're to baptize them into Christ and raise them out of that baptism and continue to teach them the ways of Jesus and then send them, our new converts, out to do the same. This is going and witnessing. And it kind of makes me ask the question, how, what do you consider being faithful to Christ, being a faithful church member? You know, how you define the word church and how you define your role as a disciple is going to determine whether you're being a faithful follower of Jesus. If you define church as something you attend or something you have to sit through, then our definition of faithfulness is just show up every couple of Sundays, take communion, and then drop your offering in the offering boxes. But if you define church like Jesus defines church, then your definition of faithfulness changes too. Jesus in Matthew defined the church as the word ecclesia. When he told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus used the word ecclesia for church. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia. On the confession of faith, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I will build my ecclesia. The disciples would have immediately recognized that word ecclesia. It's not a Hebrew word. It's a Greek and Roman word. Every Caesar had an ecclesia. Ecclesia, Caesar would call out about 200 citizens of Rome, and he would pick the workers and the doctors and the lawyers and the slaves and the artists and and the clothes makers and the candlestick makers and the bakers, and he would call them all to be his Ecclesia. This group of people knew the Roman laws and the Roman language and the Roman customs, and they were totally sold out to King Caesar. And then the Caesar, the, the king of Rome, would send them to live among the conquered barbarians. And their job, when they became a colony, was to teach the barbarians the Roman ways, the Roman language, and the Roman laws, and the Roman customs, and they were to convert the barbarians to become Roman citizens. When Jesus says his church is going to be the ecclesia, he's calling his followers to know his ways, to know his language, to know his laws. And then to go live among the pagans, show them the ways of Jesus, teach them the ways of Jesus, and convert them to Jesus. This is what it means to be a faithful church member. This is the great commission that Jesus was sent on. He came and lived among us and taught us the ways of God and taught us to be able to see God clearly. Then he sent his apostles on that same mission. As God sent me, now I'm sending you. And the apostles taught everyone else to be on the same mission The wounds of Christ bring us peace with God. They can bring us joy, and they should be sending us on mission. And finally, the wounds of Jesus can bring us faith. Thomas was not with the disciples when uh, they saw Jesus at this point. But they followed the mission of Jesus. Look at what it says. Thomas, and this is verse 24, Thomas, uh, also known as Didymus, was one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples, they went on mission, just like Jesus had sent them. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I think a lot of times uh, we are put, put similar conditions on our faith. We turn to God and we hear the good news and we hear about Jesus' death and resurrection and we hear about the love of God for us. And then we turn and we say something like, unless God does something more, I will not believe. And whatever condition we put on our belief, that has now become our Savior. If we need a vision of Christ to be saved, then the vision is going to be our Savior. If we need an experience with God, if we need some kind of mystical experience where we feel his presence, then feeling his presence has become our salvation, not Jesus. If we need our circumstances to change, I know uh, one person said, if my circumstances don't change, then God must not love me and he must not be real. Well, their circumstances have become their God, their Savior. Whatever condition we put on our faith, if it's not Jesus dying and rising from the dead, if it's not the wounds of Jesus that convince us of the love of God, then that condition has become our idol. That condition has become our salvation. We need that condition to be saved. The way this works is that condition as our idol will, will force us to bow down to that condition, will force us to die to that condition and not the condition die to us, die for us. Listen, Thomas was like we are he did not believe the words of the apostles. And he put a condition on his faith. And he said, if this condition is not met, I will not believe. What condition are you putting on your faith to believe? What are you telling God that he has to do to convince you that he loves you, to convince you that he can give you salvation, to convince you that Jesus really did rise from the dead? One of the things that the wounds of Christ teach us, those scars in his resurrected body, is that it was really Jesus there. That it was really him who died and was buried and was resurrected. That it's really him who reveals to us the love of God for us. See, if God never does anything else for us ever again, if God never gives us any other grace, he has proven to us that he loves us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place. Jesus has proven to us that he loves us because he himself gave up his life to die for us. He has proven his love for us. And the wounds of Jesus, his hands, his feet, his side, they reveal to us, those scars reveal to us of his intense, deep love and desire for us to be in the kingdom. Listen, a vision of Jesus is not going to necessarily help you to believe. There were people who saw the resurrected Christ and didn't believe. A mystical experience won't necessarily help you believe because then you might search out for those mystical experiences and those mystical experiences might become your idol. A circumstance change in your life won't cause you to believe because that circumstance, once it is taken away, your faith will go with it. That's one of the dangers of leading people to Christ uh, through all the ways that we have said, come and see. We've said, come and see, so you could have coffee and donuts in the morning on Sunday morning. We said, come and see, so you can be in a Sunday school class where you are taught um, the ways of Jesus. Uh, We've said, come and see, where you get the music that you wanna hear in church. We've said, come and see, come and see, come and see. And we've provided this consumer mindset. And whatever we win people to Jesus with is what we have to keep them with. So as soon as the donuts and coffee go away, maybe their faith leaves. As soon as the music they love goes away, maybe their faith goes away. Maybe their faithfulness to church goes away. As soon as um, the Sunday school class closes or dissipates or that small group splits and becomes two new small groups, maybe their faith goes away. Whatever we win people with is what people will stay in their faith with. And if you're looking for Jesus to change your circumstances, if you have a condition like Thomas had, whatever that condition is, as soon as that condition fades, your faith might fade too. That's why the wounds of Christ are so important. The wounds of Christ never fade. They reveal to us for all eternity, Jesus's love for us. We will be able to worship Jesus for what he did for us. The crucified Lord is our risen Lord and Savior. We'll be able to praise him for all eternity because of his wounds, because of his love. And notice Thomas gave a condition and Jesus came and said, "Stop disbelieving the apostles' teaching. And then he gave them in his grace the condition he wanted. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my hands where the uh, finger where the nails were and put my hand in the side, I will not believe." A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "Peace be with you, Shalom." God's peace and favor be on you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. I love how Jesus has stopped doubting the apostles teaching. This is what we have today. The apostles teaching that they saw and witnessed these things of Jesus Christ, that they saw the resurrected Jesus, that they actually did get to feel him and put their hands in his wounds, his scars. And Jesus tells Thomas, stop disbelieving what the apostles have been telling you. Now Thomas, seeing the resurrected Christ is an apostle. That was one of the requirements of being an apostle, the scripture tells us. They had to have been a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And now we have the apostles' teaching written down, inspired by the Holy Spirit for us in the scriptures. And Jesus would say to you today, stop disbelieving. Because of the resurrection, because of the evidence, you need to believe. Because of the apostles' teaching, you need to believe. Because of the wounds of Christ, you can have peace, you can have joy, you can have purpose and be sent on mission, but you can also have belief because they reveal God's love to you. Jesus' wounds reveal his love to us better than anything else, any other condition we can have. Now, it doesn't say that Thomas did actually put his hands into the wounds of Jesus. It was enough that he saw Jesus alive in front of him, where he said these words, my Lord and my God. Thomas was not only declaring that God is in his midst, Jesus risen from the dead, but now he believed. And Thomas wanted Jesus to be his master. A lot of times we choose Jesus to be our savior, but we forget he has to be our Lord and master before he can be our savior. In fact, if you have to do it one way or another, if you have to choose between making him your savior and then learning to obey him, I'd say do it the other way. Learn to obey him and make him your master and then he will be your savior. But the other way, you might say, I want you to be my savior, but I don't wanna follow your ways. I don't wanna learn your laws. I don't wanna uh, learn your customs. I don't wanna go and teach other people to do the same. I want you to be my savior, but I don't want you to be my master. That is not the faith that Thomas displays here in this resurrection appearance. He says, my Lord and my God. He believes and he makes Jesus his master. He recognizes that Jesus is God in the flesh, just like he had been saying all along. And now Thomas has salvation. Jesus follows it up with words to us. These are words to us. Jesus told Thomas, verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. We just have the apostles teaching. We have the scripture that points us to Jesus. We have all the evidence throughout history that points to lives changed from the reality of Jesus' resurrected body with the wounds of Christ continuing to change lives. We have lives changed around us today. We are the miracle of God with us. We are blessed when we believe the apostles' teaching. We are blessed when we believe the evidence before us. We are blessed when we look to the wounds of Christ to be the only evidence we need of God's love that would help us believe. Would you turn to Christ? Would you stop disbelieving and believe? If you want to know how to do this, I think it goes back to those simple exercises the church has always taught. The church has always taught, get in a group, learn about Jesus, read your Bible, learn about Jesus, learn to serve in his name with his power and on his strength and what he has commanded us to do. Learn to do that and he will help you grow in your faith and grow in your belief. When you are sent on mission for the purpose that Jesus has sent to go and witness to others, teaching them the ways of Christ and then baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then continuing to teach them so that they grow in their maturity and then they can go and do the same thing. This is how we grow in our faith too. The, the church is, is really kind of simple. And the call of Christ to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to entrust yourself to Jesus is really kind of simple. But a lot of times it takes that command from Jesus to us, stop disbelieving, believe the words of the apostles and then entrust yourself to me completely. And then Jesus gives us his wounds so that we know he really did die for us and he really did come back to life. And those wounds will be there in eternity so that we can really continue to praise him for all of our life. Those wounds can give us peace and joy and purpose and can even help us with our faith. There's one other thing that Jesus gives us. He knows, he knows, he knows our doubts. He knows that we need something tangible, something we can feel, something we can taste and see, to help us remember our belief, to help us remember our commitment to him. And so Jesus gives us communion. You know, communion is that tangible way we can express our belief and that we can remind ourselves of our belief, that we can remember Jesus and continue to go out and tell others about the faith that we have in Jesus and the difference he's making in our lives. Would you get out your bread? Jesus says when we participate in the bread, we are participating in his body. Would you remember that Jesus died for you? Would you remember the wounds in his hands, in his feet, in his side, in his body as you participate in the bread today? God, we thank you for the wounds of Christ that are still there, that still call us to faith. Would you take out your cup? Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out in his blood. I'm so thankful for the cup of the new covenant. I'm so thankful for his blood being poured out because he promises us that he will remain faithful and he proves it with his death and resurrection. He will remain faithful even when we are faithless. I love that promise. And I'm reminded of that promise every time I participate in the cup. And Jesus says, when we participate in the cup, we're participating in his blood. In that new covenant where he will remain faithful to us, he keeps calling us, stop disbelieving and believe. And one of his reminders is this cup of the new covenant. It reminds us that he is faithful. Would you participate in the cup? Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for holding your body on the cross so that our sins could be applied to you, for you to nail them to the cross and put them to death. Thank you for your bloodshed that covers over all of our sins and makes us clean, white as snow. Thank you for your bloodshed that covers over us in such a way that we can be made new, be restored and reconciled to God, have peace with him, and then have joy and purpose and belief. God, we thank you for this time of communion. where we we participate in the body of Christ as the body of Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We wanna help you take your next best step in Christ. That might mean you need to get in a group where you can read the scripture and hear the apostles' teaching so that you can stop believing and have true peace and true joy and finally have a purpose for your life working in the kingdom of God as one of his followers to go and witness. We wanna help train you to be able to do that. Would you fill out a connection card and let us know what your best next step is? Maybe you need to be trained on how to go and witness. Maybe you need to be trained more in the faith. Maybe you need to be trained more in the apostles teaching. We'll help you get in a group. We'll help you find the way and we'll help you take your next best step. Maybe you need prayer from our elders. A lot of us are suffering with loneliness and pain and heartache and um, even health problems. The scripture says we, the apostles teaching, says that we should pray for one another. And we should even have our elders come and pray for one another. Our elders want to pray for you. They want to help you take your next best step. And finally, your next best step might be to be immersed, baptized into Jesus' death, burial, and then raised by faith into his resurrection. The scripture says that if we're buried with him like this, we will also be raised with him in faith like this. Maybe your next best step is to be baptized. We want to help you do that. Fill out your connection card and we'll help you. We'll contact you and help you take your next best step. Because we want to join with Jesus to give you peace and give you joy because of what he offers. We want to join with Jesus to say, stop disbelieving and believe what we've been taught, what's been handed down to us and what we now live and know to be true. Fill out a connection card and we'll help you find your next best step. In the meantime, God bless you. Peace be with you. May God's face shine upon you, and we'll see you soon.